This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back to the Gotham TV Podcast. I'm Derek, one of your hosts. This is the unofficial podcast of Gotham and the Connected DC Universe. Uh, this week, it's episode 27, and we're talking about Gotham episode 9, Harvey Dent. Hi, I'm John, one of your other hosts. Yeah, Harvey Dent, finally introduced into the world of Gotham. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, we're looking forward to talking about this episode. Should be a should be a fun one. Other thing we're looking forward to is our interview with Rennie Montoya and Crispus Allen, also known as Victoria Cartagena and Andrew Stewart-Jones, with our friends from Legends of Gotham, who we had the round table with in September. This interview will be coming up Thursday, the 11th of December at 8pm Eastern Standard Time yep. in the US and Friday, the 12th of December, full day ahead <laughs> at 1am um, for UK and Ireland. Again, that time difference, that pesky time difference, meaning that we will be um, not looking our best. <laughs> we'll, be a, we'll be a little tired, we'll be a little tired, but um, but yeah, really looking forward to it. You guys have obviously heard the intro that... Uh, that um, Victoria and Andrew both recorded for us many times uh, since we did our, our first interview with them back in August. Uh, now that the season's coming to a close, or the first half of the season anyway is coming to a close, we've uh, got the opportunity to do a proper interview with them, uh, with our friends over at Legends of Gotham, as John said. Uh, you can join us at, uh, at Google+. Plus. All you need to do is go to the short link, which is bit.ly slash askthemcu. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Ask the MCU, all one word. Uh, you can go there now out of the interview and leave your questions for us. Uh, we can go ahead and, and ask them at the time. Uh, or you can join us live, um, as John said, at 1am Irish and UK time or at 8pm Eastern Standard Time in the US. Uh, really looking forward to, to sitting down to chat with those Absolutely, two. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Can't wait. Yeah, the MCU, MCU have, have had quite have quite a few cool uh, bits so far in the season. Uh, so I think there's lots to talk about. Monty and Crispy, as we like to affectionately uh, call them by. Absolutely, absolutely. But also remember, just quickly as well, that we are still going to be an episode behind and there may be some spoilers. Um, in fact, it will be spoilers for ourselves as mm -hmm. well because obviously we haven't watched the episode Lovecraft yet. Yeah. We have been introduced to Mr. Lovecraft in this episode, but so far we haven't seen episode 10. Neither will um, you guys from the UK or Ireland. So there may be some spoilers here, just to warn you. Absolutely. So if you see us with our fingers in our ears and covering our eyes during the video, <laughs> you know not to uh, <laughs> You know not to listen. <laughs> but there you go. But really looking forward to it and hope, hope uh, a bunch of you guys can, uh, can join us for that one. Uh, I think on with the news. No Gotham news as such, except for our interview with Victoria Cartagena and Andrew Stewart-Jones. But um, in connected DC news, the pilot for Garth Ennis's and Steve Dillon's comic series Preacher has had an order confirmed by AMC. Mm. This is a Vertigo imprint comic about a southern preacher, the Reverend Jesse Custer, who 
accidentally gets possessed by a supernatural creature and travels across the United States trying to find God, um, along with an Irish drunken vampire. That's right. Um, That's yeah. right, Cassidy, yeah. Cassidy. So, really good, um, really good comic series. Another great Vertigo uh, imprint there. And that pilot has been confirmed by AMC. Yeah, and the people that are involved in it, essentially, are Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who uh, who directed This Is The End. You might know them from Superbad as well. Done a bunch of comedy films. So this would be the first kind of foray into, into more of a drama, I suppose. Um, it's also there's also some involvement from uh, some of the team behind Breaking Bad as it's AMC they've been looking to to get those guys back on board uh, on their channel uh, it really sounds like kind of a bit, a bit of a, a mix between Constantine and The Walking Dead really because with the traveling across the across the US um, section of it I suppose I really enjoyed uh, the Preacher comic books when we when we read them a couple of years ago it's a 90s comic book so it's a so it's a little bit out of my memory, the full details of what happens, but I definitely need to reread them and catch up. But definitely a good, uh, good, a good premise for a show. I think um, this is a project to to watch for. Definitely, I mean, from what we've heard and seen and read, the actual production won't start until 2015, summer of 2015, mm-hmm. with a view to it being um, put on the AMC slate for 2016 if all the green lights line up and it gets the Mm go-ahead. So, again, definitely a project we would be um, interested in and would recommend to to follow and and take an interest in if you enjoy The Preacher. Even check out the comics beforehand. Um, It's a really good series of comics by the great Garth Ennis and, obviously, the artist Steve Dillon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another comic book news, really, I suppose. Um, there's been some rumours that Frank Miller is going to do a second sequel to the infamous Dark Knight Returns. Um, that was his story that was done in uh, 1986. It was a, f- a four-part miniseries where where the an elder Dark Knight comes back to take on the mantle for one last time. A really, really good book. But yeah, there's rumours that thus there'll be you know, essentially that Frank Miller is going to take up the story and continue it. Now, Frank Miller has had some health problems quite recently, so he he won't be actually drawing the book definitely. Uh, and the rumor is that he'll be working with Scott Snyder, who's the current big writer for um for Batman. Yeah, the uh, new Fifty Two. Yeah, so he'll be he'll he'll be working with him to to do some to do the story and lay it out. Uh, but the focus this time is uh, is allegedly, we'll say, uh, going to be on the female Robin from the original miniseries, who's Carrie Kelly. It'd be an interesting idea, essentially, that she's coming up to retirement, I suppose, as a, as a superhero, and that she's going to hand over the mantle to a new to a new Robin, essentially. Ah, yeah. yeah, very interesting. And whilst there are no confirmed artists. There is set to be sort of a rotating team of artists. That's kind of what's been put out there, mm. of which it may include the likes of Greg Capullo, who's obviously working very closely and in collaboration with Scott Snyder at the moment, but also other artists such as Jim Lee, mm. for example. So that will be um, really interesting. And they've, this... definitely, they've definitely essentially rumoured almost every artist I know that's worked on uh, on some, some of the Batman books for years. There's about seven or eight different artists that are rumoured, but quite interesting. So it that's kind of created this idea that there could be rotating artists. Nobody knows yet. Um, essentially, they're saying sometime 2016 would be the kind of aim for when this would be released as well. Yeah, it would be the third Dark Knight miniseries mm-hmm. that they've had. And it would tie in probably quite nicely with the Batman uh, versus Superman Dawn of Justice film as yeah. well. And that it would take some inspiration from that, which 
in itself takes inspiration from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So it's one happy circle of friends, I think, <laughs> on that. But again, that should be something to, to watch out for. Again, very early news, but interesting news. Mm-hmm. We also then have some confirmation of the casting for David Ayer's Suicide Squad, and that was confirmed this week. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this is looking really interesting we have jared leto confirmed then as the joker yep. which should be really really interesting yeah we talked about it a few weeks ago obviously yeah. some of this casting is uh had been circulated a few weeks ago so i think we talked about it around episode 24 maybe 25 somewhere around that and talked about the casting but th- this time we have confirmation of, of some of the actual uh parts that these actors are going to be playing so yeah as john said jared leto is confirmed as the joker which we talked about before i'm really excited to see what he does with that absolutely we have tom hardy uh return as a different character mm. rick flag so not coming back as bane in any way yeah. but coming back as rick flag i suppose his face was quite heavily covered during uh, during the dark knight um rises so you know he'll look very different as rick flag um, as this as this character who's a very i suppose a very obscure character well um, yeah really um so it's leading to rumors that he may not be a, a main player in the movie that he may be a he may be a member of the uh, Suicide Squad for a short amount of time. He joins the ranks of, say, Ryan Reynolds, who's played multiple comic characters mm-hmm. in terms of Hal Jordan, and now, obviously, he's been confirmed as Deadpool right. as well, which mm-hmm. is another little bit of news um, for this week. He joins him. He also joins Steve Rogers, Captain America, mm-hmm. who also, Human Torch, Chris Evans. That's so right. that's um, really good as well. Margot Robbie is confirmed as Harley Quinn, and she seems to be certainly the fans' favourite to play Harley Quinn, that she would be really suited to this role. Jai Courtney from the Jack Reacher film will be playing uh, Boomerang. The Australian superhero, Boomerang. And who's also in (laughs) um, Terminator Genesis, (laughs) spelt really strangely. And just saw the trailer for that which was uh, very interesting. Mm. There was Will Smith. So we now have another um, member of the Smith clan on um, the DC roster, Mm -hmm. which is uh, Will Smith. He will be playing Deadshot. That's right. That's right. And it's kind of leading on from the rumors of Tom Hardy and him only being in the the in the movie for a short period of time essentially it's uh, will smith doesn't play second fiddle to many to many people in his acting um pretty likely that he'll take over the leadership of of the suicide squad uh, early on in the movie is the is the kind of rumor so there these are all you know these are all rumors and all guesses so we're not saying spoilers ahead of them uh, but yeah really interesting that will smith is going to be taking a central role in the in suicide squad and how heavy is uh, how heavily involved is Jared Leto going to be as the Joker? Will he just have an appearance at the end of the movie, setting him up for a future Batman film, or will he be quite heavily involved? Uh, he's never been a member of the Suicide Squad, as far as I I'm aware. I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's someone that really you can you can hold a, a bomb on his neck and tell him to what to do. He's a bit of a, a bit more crazy than that. So yeah, but um, it would be interesting given that Harley Quinn is in this film to see some interaction between these two, mm-hmm. maybe even. The origin of Harley Quinn. I mean, yeah. who knows? Probably not, because this is going to be a very much an ensemble film. Any kind of on-screen interaction between the Joker and Harley Quinn, I think, would be 
incredibly interesting. It would be kind of the first time it's been done on film yeah, as such. Absolutely. So that would be, you know, on the big screen. So that would be really interesting to see how that comes off. I would I would definitely love to see a bit a bit of the origin about um about Harley Quinn particularly because a lot of times you know when you see her she's a fully formed character as being the crazy bimbo essentially who's going out with Joker. But if you remember she comes from a background of being a psychiatrist or and a psychologist um or a psychologist I don't really know the difference between the two so I always get them confused. But she comes from that background so she's clearly a very intelligent character. So what I'd love to see is some of the setup of who Harleen Quinzel is in advance of becoming Harley Quinn. I'd like to see a much more intelligent character than we've seen presented Definitely. in the past. If she turns into that bimbo because she gets a knock on the head or because she's just fallen in love with Lying Joker, corrupted then fine. By Joker. Then absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. Uh, but I definitely want to see a bit more uh, expansion of this character who's so well known as a cosplay character across uh, every single Comic Con I've I've seen. So definitely. Yeah. But there we go. We have confirmation of those um, characters. And, uh, again, for a film out in the future, which we're looking forward to. Let us know your feedback on the casting. You can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com or email us directly at derek at gothamtvpodcast.com or john at gothamtvpodcast.com. Yeah. Any other news for this week, John? The only other three kind of little shout-outs <laughs> that I want to do is obviously remember everyone who's listening, um, hashtag Save Constantine. We've mentioned that before. It's just to keep that in everyone's minds. Please follow it if you can, mm-hmm. um, whether it's on the Friday time slot in the US or on Amazon Prime in the UK yeah. or even on uh, NBC Demand. I think it's a show we would consider worthy of your consideration Absolutely. as we move towards Oscar season. Yeah, and um, <laughs> <laughs> Emmy season, maybe? Um, well, I know. Um, People's Choice Awards season. People's Choice Awards season. There's, there's still two episodes left of Constantine, I think, in the US now. Um, yeah, and then it will come back in January. Yeah. And what we're, we believe is that um, the end of the mid-season and the start in after Christmas and the New Year in January are a two-parter. That's right. It'll be split between that break. So that's the first one. Second one, fans of Ray Montoya. We have had discussions on Twitter with um, a few different people. And we were wondering about the questionnaires as the fan club for... Victoria Cartagena and uh, Renny Montoya, the character that she plays. That would be quite interesting to see whether that can get established uh, a bit more in the consciousness. So give that a few thoughts. Any comments to us, please give us your ideas. And then finally, in completely unrelated news to anything that we do, last week we had Star Wars. This week, I have to say, as a huge fan of the character... Dr. Stephen Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme from Marvel <laughs> Universe. Um, I won't say that too loudly. It has been confirmed that Benedict Cumberbatch will play the Sorcerer Supreme, Stephen Strange, you... of which I am very, very happy about. You are very excited about this news. <laughs> I certainly am. I think great casting, very briefly, great casting. I think he can play likable arrogance really well mm-hmm. as you if anyone who's a fan of the bbc series sherlock you know that highly intelligent arrogance he can play really well and be i think liked and Absolutely. have people follow him feel sorry for him i think that's really a useful trait to have in playing this character 
Absolutely. And not only Sherlock, obviously the gigantic dragon Smaug, who is uh, essentially a hugely arrogant, likable character as well. Uh, he's very good at that one too. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but obviously I think I will be joining the Cumberbitches um, <laughs> forthwith. <laughs> um, I, think so. to... I think you're more of a Cumberbutch, really. Oh yeah, that sounds much better. <laughs> Cumberbutches. Yeah, yeah. For the male members. There yeah. you go. There you so... Go. Any questions about the new fan club, uh, the Cumber Butchers, um, will be, uh, please send them in. At... Direct them to john at gothamtvpodcast.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. I think uh, I think that's our news for this week. And uh, and yes, I am just as excited as John Bush uh, for, for the Doctor Strange news. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is definitely one of our favorite actors o- over here. So uh, really looking forward to seeing what he could do. And he did play. John Harrison. He did. He, he did. played me very <laughs> in well Star, in Star Trek. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I mean, he's just brilliant. So is this is this almost equivalent to you playing Doctor Strange in a Marvel film? Is that basically it could what you're be. saying? <laughs> I think I could rock the sort of handlebar moustache and the big pick your nose collars. <laughs> I think I think you could. I think you could. I think with that, let's move um, swiftly to um, the DC universe and. <laughs> to Gotham with our review. Now we're on to episode 9 of Gotham of 10 at this side of the season. So episode 9 is uh, Harvey Dent. This episode was uh, written by Ken Woodruff who wrote episode 4 Arkham uh-huh. um, which we really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, it's also directed by Karen Gaviola. Uh, she's directed episodes of CSI, Criminal Minds, Blacklist, Prison Break, Lost uh, but this is the first time that she's directed an episode of Gotham. I think, uh, do you want to give us a bit of a synopsis for this episode, John? Certainly, yeah. As a mentally ill patient, Ian Hargrove is transferred from Blackgate Penitentiary for treatment. On his way, he is kidnapped by Russian mobsters. Under the guidance of Fish Mooney, the mobsters are using the former vigilante to complete a plan to steal money from Carmine Falcone, further weakening the Dom. Meanwhile, Selina Kyle has returned and finally gives more details to the identity of the Wayne family murderer. Because of her knowledge, Cat is sent to Wayne Manor for a protection by Jim. Armed with Selina's sketch, Jim Gordon approaches a young, slightly unbalanced assistant district attorney called Harvey Dent for help. Dent is convinced that the sketch ties billionaire businessman Dick Lovecraft into the investigation. All the while, Jim and Barbara are drifting further and further apart as Barbara runs to her former lover, René Montoya. Mm, yeah, so lots happened this episode. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, quite a big, uh, quite a big episode for um, for everything that's been tie- leading up to this. We we get uh, again, we get a great kickoff from last week's episode, episode eight, where Selena Kyle arrived in the GCPD again. We finally get a bit more information that she has been holding uh, over Jim Gordon. Uh, get a bit more information about who the Wayne uh, family murderer is in the way of a sketch, essentially, of uh, which the sketch art- sketch artist works on with. Selena, um, but once again, we got a very quick glimpse of that. We didn't, uh, we didn't get much as an audience, um, much more information than we know in the past. We get a quick sketch of the uh, of um, the killer, or Selena's impression of the killer, I suppose. Um, but we don't get more detail behind it. Nobody finds out who the who the killer is this episode. So that sketch, then, is there anything? Does it remind you of anyone at all? Um, I'm kind of thinking it plays into my little theory from I think episode two when we were talking about it. it could be Butch Gilzine. It seems to be quite a similar face shape of him. And I remember in the in the pilot episode, his eyebrows seemed 
and the shape of the guy himself seemed quite a big guy, you know. Um, I think it might be a Butch Gilzine drawn, what do you think? It, I can see where you're coming from. I think the sketch artist maybe has the face a bit thinner, mm. but I still think that heavy set look is probably most like Butch Gilzine at the moment in terms of the characters we've seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would be with you on that so far. So the shiny shoes killer we still think is Butch Gilzine. Yeah. Well, he likes to wear a suit. He's dresses fairly dapper, mm-hmm. even when he's killing people yeah. and threatening. That's very true. That's very true. So maybe so. Yeah. So I would say, are there any thoughts from our listeners on who the mugshot, uh, the sketched mugshot may be? Um, of the killer of Thomas and Martha Wayne. It would be interesting to hear your thoughts. Um, so if you want to, provide us with some feedback at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Um, what did you think overall of the, of the episode? I thought the episode was pretty solid. I think the, um, I loved the cliffhanger at the end. I'm not entirely sure I understand some of the motives mm-hmm. that led to that point, but I think that is a really significant um, ending for Jim and Barbara's relationship, Mm -hmm. and I think also for TV, (laughs) given um, it shows two lesbian lovers in embrace and kissing. I think that's powerful Mm -hmm. for um, a mainstream TV show on Fox and airing on Channel 5. That is really significant and important, and for that, I think this episode does really, really well. Um, I love... The interaction between Alfred and Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, that whole, all those scenes around Wayne Manor and between those three characters, I actually really enjoyed. I I, I thought they helped um, bring, obviously, Selina Kyle, the young cat, and uh, Bruce Wayne together. And that's something that I have been looking forward to, to see how they would interact in this world as younger versions of their adult um, beings, as it were, that we all know. Um, And Alfred is, I have to say, Sean Pertwee is brilliant in this episode. Um, Really, really good uh, interaction between him and the two kids. Um, You know, he's he's taken on the mantle. He's mentioned in the the past that he's a terrible father. He doesn't have that background at all. And now he's got two kids to take care of. And he really is not not enjoying it at all. It's a great sort of situation for for Alfred that... um, he finds himself getting more and more children when he's probably his parenting skills are somewhat to be uh, desired. Certainly, given his uh, encouragement of a thorough beating of Tommy Elliot <laughs> in last uh, last week's episode, um, and other after that, I think um, there are a number of points here that obviously carry on that the through train um, about Fish and Oswald mm. and Falcone. And a lot of the stuff here, I think some of it is done off camera, off screen, which it has questions over it, I think, mm-hmm. um, looking at it. I think we can give them a benefit of the doubt there, but there's a lot happening that's quite significant that appears to have happened between now and the previous episode, The Mask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, again... I did enjoy the episode. Uh, definitely some great stuff. I totally agree with you. The scenes between Alfred and Bruce and Selena, the three of them together, definitely are, are some of my favourite in the episode. Like the introduction of uh, Nicholas D'Agosto as uh, as Harvey Dent. I think he's been uh, he's an interesting character, a lot more heightened, let's say, than uh, we've probably seen uh, Harvey Dent pre Two Face uh, in the past. We've seen 
I think we've seen the creation of Two-Face twice in film, one with the Dark Knight played by Aaron Eckhart and another time in uh, in Tim Burton's film, wasn't it? Or was it uh, Schumacher? Schumacher. In Schumacher's film. Uh, yeah, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones as uh, as Harvey Dent, uh, a much more crazy version of Two-Face than we uh, than you probably enjoyed. Um, but this yeah. time we're seeing him pre-everything. We are introduced to him by... We're introduced to him by the MCU, by Montoya and Allen, who trust him implicitly to do the right thing. Uh, he's the uh, he's a trustworthy DA in the city, which is which is really interesting. And I think Alfred questions that uh, when Jim poses it to him originally. But uh, but yeah, I like Nic- Nicholas Degas's portrayal. Yeah, no, I did. Um, I I liked his portrayal, uh, and I liked his introduction in, in this as well. I think there's things that we can explore in this uh, podcast a bit mm-hmm. uh, about that, about things being maybe too early too soon possibly all those twos um that may happen there but i know it was good to see him on on the screen i thought that was was good and i think we can see how that develops over the rest of the season so in terms of the opening yeah we essentially see selena being taken up to um to Barbara Keane's apartment. Uh, Jim is very quick to point out this is not his apartment. Uh, he he doesn't own it. He's uh, he works on a policeman's salary, and he gets a, a little jibe from from Selena Kyle on that. But he quickly says, "This is my girlfriend's apartment," but then finds the note that uh, that Barbara had left for him last week, essentially saying that she's left him and that she's uh, she doesn't want to be contacted by him, which in turn is uh, leads to Selena being uh, questioning him as to as to his relationship with this woman that she's left him behind essentially yeah i think we see jim gordon here dealing with um barbara keen um having moved away mm. um she can no longer deal it would seem with his half of his life as she's asked to be a part of um in the previous um episodes and that's down to sort of the menacing and threatening treatment by not only butch gilsian but also Victor Zaz. Mm. And that has obviously spooked her. We saw her drinking heavily in in the last episode. So she is not dealing with this uh, at all well and has has moved off. And this, you see Jim Gordon dealing with this all the way through this episode. Yeah. Um, you see Harvey uh, Bullock being quite sympathetic, asking, you know, is everything okay? You can see he's sort of out of sorts at various times throughout this episode. Um, but it's kind of putting it down. She will be back. She's kind of making a point. This is what um, ladies do. And I suppose for me, this was the this was a slight bit of criticism I had with mm-hmm. this whole thing. It was kind of saying, this is what women do. Even the letter sort of talks about being needy and so on. I don't think a, a woman would write that in a letter um, saying she's going off. But I think the letter does clear up some of the motives because I, to begin with, I just thought um, Barbara's motives for for leaving Jim were unclear. I understand that she's scared and frightened and so on, but she has wanted to be a part of that world, yeah, and and was willing to leave if he didn't open up to her about that, to leave him and make uh, that stand to move away from him then. And she ultimately runs into someone who is also a part of that world. So it's not like she's escaping from people who are involved with these criminals who will threaten her again. Mm -hmm. So that I didn't understand. I thought 
it should have um and we've seen a slow deterioration of their relationship and then they seem to get it back together again and then obviously this was a crunch point for barbara because she was kidnapped but i think moving to into Renée Montoya's life, she is also a part of that world. The same thing could quite easily happen again. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I understand. I think definitely, you know, I think that some of the criticism of it, obviously, as, as you've mentioned, John, is that Barbara wanted this. Barbara wanted the relationship with Jim, wanted all the all the details behind, or just 50%, isn't it? just half of what he deals with. That's what she wanted. He gives it to her, and then she leaves and runs away. Now, In fairness, she got 100% being threatened, um... And that was exactly my point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think she didn't realize what what Jim was actually hiding from her. I don't think she realized how much he was hiding until Butch Gilzine arrives in the house. Um, so I can understand the motivation for it now. Once once she's read out the letters, definitely. But yeah, I, I do understand it. It's, it could it could be a little bit a little bit confusing or quite difficult to pick up if you haven't been watching the episode as detailed as we have. I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. I think for for me, it would have been better if she had just left Gotham, gone to her parents or something like that, rather than to, at this stage, René Montoya's, because the previous discussions and scenes between René Montoya and Barbara Keane have been slightly fraught. Mm. They have been, you know, it was a long time ago. There were obviously drug dependencies going on there. They broke up. Barbara says she had moved on. Obviously not. And that Storyline, I have no problem with. Yeah. I think it needs to be done at a different time because here now, because of the 100% knowledge of um, Jim's world, she moves to um, her former lover and partner, Renny Montoya, mm. who is also a part of that world. And that doesn't mm. make sense to me. Yeah, but again, but, I, w- I would point out that Renee is has very much been saying she's been investigating Jim. She's not a part of that world. So maybe Renee is also yeah. hiding stuff from Barbara. So we'll see how that plays out, definitely. Um, go on to the kind of Selena side of things. The Selena-Kyle section of the episode is quite a big a big section of the episode. So she's obviously in the in the apartment to begin with. I love her little joke of, are you going to leave me in this apartment on my own? Yeah. Is this is this where I'm going to be living now, off the street to this massive penthouse apartment? A nice little it, joke. It's almost like you can see her licking her chops because it's like, look at all this stuff I can steal. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, starts out by taking some milk and drinking it like a good cat would. Yeah. Um, but then gets uh, delivered to the doorstep of Wayne Manor. Yeah. I thought it was great to see... Um, Cameron Beacondover gets some really quality airtime, actually, yeah, yeah. in this episode. And, you know, really flesh out um, the dialogue that she has. And I thought it was just really kind of well done. I think um, I loved her interaction with, with Bruce. You know, it was almost like she just looking at him really quizzically going, you're so different from who I am. And I thought that was important to kind of add that context to Bruce Wayne, that he is different from other kids his age. A bit like how that happened with um, Tommy Elliott, the the episode before. And she does it again. It's this idea, like the boxing scene, which I thought between Alfred and, uh, and Bruce, which was excellent. She comes in and she says, why do you need to defend yourself? It's not like you're in a... Um, a rough neighbourhood, like you know, they're in a manor where their nearest neighbour's probably about four miles away yeah. or something. Yeah. I like that sort of contrast between the two. I thought it was 
I thought it was really well done. Um, and she's, you know, she does. She spots and, and makes note that he's different and unusual from boys his own age. Then there's the commonality in how they're dealing with it differently. The fact that they are both orphans. Yeah. Um, she, will the, not, she will not admit that she's an orphan. No, exactly. She yeah. won't admit that she's an orphan. She knows it deep down, but she's not admitting it. Bruce, in a sense, is admitting it right up front and trying to do something, in a sense, constructive. He is trying to build a picture, uh, an, an investigation of what actually happened. Uh, and Selena has created a picture. She mm-hmm. has made up a story. Um, whereas Bruce is trying to identify the pieces of the of the actual story of his poems. Yeah. So that I really liked. I thought it was really good. Um, and, you know, and let's not forget that the, the really important part about their relationship is that not only is she a kid around his own age, which he never deals with, he never talks to people of his own age, but she's also the last person to see his parents alive uh, other than him. You know, so she was there at the moment that he lost everything essentially. So he makes he's trying to get in under her skin. He's trying to get um, information from her about that, so he can add it to his bundle of information that he has. She is the the last best hope he has of finding the killer of his parents. Essentially, is what is what we're told. What we're told here. Uh, overall, I think their interaction is really really good. But uh, but once you add Alfred into the mix, um, it becomes some of the funniest stuff we've seen so far. His yeah, his yeah. turn of phrase <laughs> is fantastic. It's really really good. Uh, he's continuing to train uh, train Bruce. We heard uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's request at the end of episode eight. Uh, Can you teach me how to fight and defend myself, essentially? And finally, we see Alfred taking up the mantle and taking out the boxing gloves. And I love his guidance here as he as Alfred tells Bruce that to take a punch is as important as giving a punch. Jab, jab, right. Sorry, Alfred. Bruce. Hurt. Yeah, it was supposed to, innit? Taking a punch is just as important as throwing one, Master Bruce. What you doing? Alfred's teaching me to fight. Why? So I'll be prepared if something bad happens. Yeah, because you live in a pretty rough neighborhood. Not here, in Gotham. In Gotham, people don't fight with gloves on. But yeah, as you say, Cillian's reaction to it, uh, you're not in a you're not exactly in a bad neighborhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's a great um, little scene. As you say, um, Sean Pertwee's sort of turn of phrase, his subtle um, expressions in his face as Alfred are really, really good. I mean, and it is, it's really kind of droll, almost bordering on sarcastic sort of um, British kind of wit where, you know, um, it's not a bloody hotel, he says, when uh, he's kind of saying, well, breakfast was at half eight, you slept in, and so you missed it, so lunch will be available from 12.30. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really structured and ordered, as it would be in the military, yep. let alone um, whatever about being butler. I think this is coming from his military thing, where you're up at seven o'clock, you prepare, and young Bruce Wayne and now this new edition Selena Kyle must fit into the routine mm-hmm. and um, and then you also kind of you know hear him talk about well you need to mind your manners you minx yes. he says to her <laughs> um, which again your little minx, your little minx. Yeah. and it's 
again, just those turns of phrase are really, really good to see. And actually moving from that initial frosty relationship that he has towards uh, Selina Kyle is this really nice warming to her by um, Alfred uh, that you see. And that's kind of done in the whole like food fight, which I I really like that scene. I thought, you know, who doesn't like a good food fight? Certainly as a kid. I mean, I remember flicking peas at people sort of in at school meals or even at home occasionally. Um, you know, doing all those kind of things. That was really, really nice to see, I thought. And just his, again, you're just looking at them and it's that kind of, this is good for Bruce Wayne, this mm-hmm. interaction. It's probably actually good for Selena Kyle as well, in fairness. Yeah. Um, yeah. That... This interaction of people of his own age is good for him, and that she is good for him as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely think the softening of Alfred in this episode is really, really good. Um, you know, he's he's obviously has the challenge of how to take care of this kid, and he's finally found someone that, regardless of what he thinks about her uh, to begin with, that he actually could, be, she actually could be a huge help to Bruce. Um, Sean Pert, who's very quickly becoming one of my favorite characters on this show from uh, from. From the outset, I was intrigued to see what what uh, he'd do with the character of Alfred, a different Alfred than we've seen before. And I think he's playing it really, really well. Do you have anything else about Selena and Alfred and Bruce? I think as well, I just like the idea that throughout this moment, like when he's in the pool, holding his breath, trying mm. to generate discipline, even though he's doing it with all his clothes on, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, you know, she's there going this isn't going to save you on yeah. the streets of Gotham. Yeah. I love this dose of realism that um, Selina is, is kind of bringing to, to Bruce Wayne. And you can actually see in David Mazus's performance, he, it's registering. It is registering. And um, that is really nice, this idea of you need to be ruthless and so on. Okay, he may have been ruthless a bit too much for Tommy Elliott's liking <laughs> the last yeah. episode, but... She kind of makes that point again, and the, and then that's kind of contrasted with you know what Bruce is trying to find out about um, Selena's parents and so on. And Selena takes umbrage with that. You know, it feels probably more out of hurt and sadness that you know I don't want to talk about it. And um, but they kind of come back together, and it, this is a really nice fusing of these two. Um, significant relationships within the world of Batman and Gotham moving forward that I was really wanting to see um, when we did our first podcast and we talked about it. And now we're getting to see that. And I think this is really great stuff. For me, this is partly what the show is about as well. You have to judge it really carefully, I think, for the producers and for the writers about you know how quickly you develop something how slowly you develop develop something mm-hmm. i think that's the skill here but i i, I really like these interactions i thought there were some of the um the more intimate and, and personal ones um of the season so far yeah yeah no i totally understand that i'm just thinking the scene with bruce and selena where where they're talking is it is this the first time that bruce has revealed that he feels he is not responsible for his parents death but that he could have done something about it so essentially, Selena's seen what happened. She's seen that there was a gun involved. She's saying essentially that Bruce couldn't do anything about it. Is this the first time that he's revealed that? Or did he say that to Alfred in an earlier episode and Alfred just uh, shut him up, essentially? 
Um, but still, it's still showing as evident that yeah. Bruce feels that this is fair. He felt he could do something, or in hindsight now, he wished he could. I think he makes the point to Selena that, um, well, you saw me, you saw how I um, reacted. I wish I could have done something. And this is where she says um, this line. She looks nice. She was. You saw her. The night she was killed. Uh-huh. And you saw me. What I did. What I didn't do. What are you talking about? What could you have done? I don't know, something. You're dreaming, kid. A gun's a gun. Again, it's that intimacy of this crucible that is Thomas and Martha Wayne's murder and killing that has brought these two together. And I think that makes sense in the world of Batman, that out of that would spin this you know, legacy of a of their cooperation and um, love interest and, and so on in the future as Batman and Catwoman yeah. as in adulthood. So this, I'm, I really enjoyed this uh, aspect of the, of the episode. Mm-hmm. Talking of famous other characters, we are introduced then to Harvey Dent, who's played here by Nicholas D'Agosta. As you say, introduced by the MCU to Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I, I definitely liked it. I liked the lighting in his office. Um, I think he must he must pay for someone to screw out some of the bulbs on one side of the room um, so that he can get the shadow on one side and the, the light on the other. Uh, but I like that little touch. I think it's really interesting that, you, that a couple of times you see the you see the uh, the two-facedness of this character. But it's quite interesting. One of the pieces for me that I think is, is very interesting is he's been presented with the sketch of uh, the the Wayne murder um, that Selena worked uh, worked on. Um, and instantly he, he chooses a character that we've not heard, of, heard about before, uh, Dick Lovecraft, as being involved in these killings. It's quite an interesting idea. Um I've been under the impression so far that we were going to this is going to be tracked back to Moroni or to Falcone, um, but essentially this new character of Dick Lovecraft is introduced. So the big question this leaves overall uh, leaves me with anyway is: is he just using this uh, the death of the Wayne parents to pin a murder on a pre-existing uh, bad guy that he has or a pre-existing foe for uh, for Harvey Dent? It certainly throws up an awful lot of questions um, and I, I think you're right I think this is a to an extent maybe is a subtle way of his two-facedness mm. in that sense where he is manipulating the case of Thomas and Martha Wayne's murder um, to use for his own ends in his case against um, Dick Lovecraft mm. I think um, he's trying to essentially use this idea of a witness and so on because Lovecraft has got um, interests with Wayne Enterprises that he had a um, dubious or conflicting um, professional relationship with Thomas Wayne. He's involved in the Arkham Land deal. Mm -hmm. He's got um, involvement with the criminal underworld with the Moroni and Falcone families. So this is, to me, seems to be Harvey Dent using that information for his own ends and for his own case, whilst, and this is his kind of dark side and his two-facedness, I suppose, but not 
being honest with Jim and maybe even the MCU mm-hmm. about why he's doing it. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm convinced that he is trying to tie Lovecraft to the murder. I think it's to try and make him um, sort of fold and put more pressure on him for an existing case. And I think we see that in the fiery temper that we get from Harvey Dent when Lovecraft is in his office Mm. after being served a notice by by Dent. And, um, you know, Lovecraft just screws it up and says, you've got nothing on me. This is ridiculous. I mean, he kind of sees through it to an extent. And you see then this unhinged um, reaction from Harvey Dent to this. And that was kind of fairly shocking in itself. I, I wasn't expecting that at all, but it added another element to this sort of maybe... Yeah, two-faced, it's difficult not to say it, but two-faced kind of schizophrenic behavior of the Harvey Dent in this world. Mm. Again, I loved, just quickly coming back to your point about the lighting, I thought it was a really nice nuanced way of introducing that light and dark side of the character Harvey Dent, who will ultimately become two-faced. I thought it was nice and nuanced, it was subtle, um much more so, um, say, than the Riddler mug for poor Ed Nigma. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I suppose the bottle of milk for, um, for Selena Kyle. Yeah. She seems to carry um, with her all the time. Yeah. I mean, I do like those elements to some degree. I think sometimes they're a bit on the nose. Um, and I think maybe even with Harvey Dent, maybe we didn't need to see the coin flipping. Maybe that could have been something later. Who knows? Person- um, personally, again. I think coin flip had to be introduced from the beginning. You have to have the two-headed coin. It's it's part of his character. It comes from something his father used to do. He's always had the coin uh, from when he was a child, and he uses it as his way of getting people to do what he wants them to do. If you didn't introduce it now, it would feel weird in a year's time or in five episodes' time when he introduces it. So uh, one, of the, one of the other big things about these scenes with Lovecraft What's really excites me is that finally, one of the things we've been complaining about for the last couple of episodes is that they don't have something that ca- that starts in one episode and carries on to the next. Episode 10 is called Lovecraft, so I presume it's going to have, be quite central about Dick Lovecraft as a character. So well, that's something, yeah, I'm excited about as well, as you say, because yeah. we have mentioned that about those crossovers, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So so I'm kind of intrigued to have a villain that's being introduced in this episode and will play out in the next episode. So that's that's that definitely loved that. But the thing that. overall, Harvey Dent was introduced um, really well, and it will be... I liked um, Nicholas D'Agosta's portrayal of him, and I just wonder, again, it's that that real fine balancing act that I think the writers and producers and directors and so on behind the show really have to um, you know think about is that how quickly do we establish them how quickly do we bring in these aspects that as an audience we all know Mm -hmm. about from whether it's the comics or the films or just the knowledge of these characters anyway and where they get to I think, um, you know, how fast you introduce those, how deeply do you go into to that. I think this is one of the fine balancing acts that uh, these that, that they need to do. And I, th- I think they pulled it off uh, well with Harvey Dent. It'll be interesting moving forward um, how much more we get to see. One other question is, I kind of alluded to it 
previously is do you think there will be anything there between Harvey Dent and Rene Montoya? Whether Harvey Dent, obviously it is Rene Montoya who introduces and says hi Harvey to uh, to, to Jim yeah. and so on. Do you think there may be some kind of obsessive behaviour towards Rene Montoya then by Harvey Dent? That might come into play possibly. Yeah, I definitely like the idea and what we've seen so far of Rene Montoya's character is that once she's if she's been betrayed, she will she is tenacious with her um with her following up of this. And already what we're seeing in this episode and we've discussed obviously is that is it possible that Harvey is uh, is lying to her essentially. So she's put her put her reputation on the line essentially to introduce Jim and and Harvey so potentially there's that element first as a kickoff point so will her trust be betrayed by Harvey Dent and so that's quite interesting to begin with but I don't know I don't know whether it'll go as deep as it went in Half a Life the uh, Gotham Central arc that we spoke about Um, that could be something that will be kept for a very far future but I like the fact they have a pre-existing relationship Um, I like the fact that she trusts him implicitly at this point which if you've got a if you've got a, a slightly schizophrenic character um, that's definitely going to play out in future. So, uh, so let's see. That's that, that, that's a good question, and, and we'll be watching out for that one. So, one of the other aspects of this week's episode was Oswald and Fish, and mm. their kind of game of cat and mouse or game of chess, however you want to see it, um, between the two involving Falcone. And obviously, we see Oswald making a connection between Fish and Liza, and obviously Liza's um, closeness to Carmine Falcone. Yeah, so based on the information that Oswald received in last week's episode, that there is somebody close to Falcone. Poor Timothy, oh, R.I.P. Poor R.I.P. Timothy. Yeah. <laughs> he's worked out that Liza's the one that has the connection, so he's going to investigate her. He, it's it's an odd an odd scene where he confirms it. Essentially, he finds a scarf of hers, realizes the smell on it is something similar to the scent that he would have smelled when he was hanging around with uh, with uh, fish, but. It's a, it's a creepy old scene when he arrives into uh, into Fish's bar yeah. to give to get one last smell to confirm. The, Oswald the does a lot of sniffing in this episode. Mm-hmm. Whether it is Liza's um, top, I only hope it's her top that he is sniffing, and um, yeah, the scarf and the lilac scent, yeah. uh, which he he checks with her own perfumes to realize that it's not one of those, um, and then does a very exaggerated sniffing of Fish Mooney. Right. I actually thought Fish Mooney was going to come back with him with, again, another either a slap, a punch, another Stab. sharp implement. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I have to say, just a quick a quick aside there, I just love the, see, I love the reaction of Butch Gilzean in the background to, <laughs> yeah. to him. It's like, this guy is weird. Get away from him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does make that connection. And, and do you think that connection, though, is done off screen? Because... Timothy doesn't say Liza. He True. doesn't mention that. And do you reckon then that off screen we've had Oswald in a sense sort of putting people in places and bits of the puzzle together and saying, well, Liza is the newest member uh, within Falcone's entourage. It could possibly be that um, this is Fish's person on the inside. Because when he goes into her room, um, he does then spot Falcone and Liza together, and he's kind of, what are you up to? Mm. 
is that a leap of faith or do you think it's something that has happened off screen? It'd be interesting. Yeah, I think one of the pieces that we've learned about Oswald to begin with is that he constantly tells people, tells everybody that will listen that he knows people he knows what they're capable of he he can read them really well that's his talent essentially so yeah well it's off screen and i understand this is uh, this is a, a little bit of a problem with the episodes you can't show everything of course we only have 42 oh, minutes an episode so it's it's not a huge leap of faith to say the new girlfriend of, of falcone given uh, fish's penchant for using sex as a weapon essentially um it's not a huge leap to say that that would be a possibility I, I'm not sure for definite that Oswald is convinced when he walks into Liza's apartment that she is definitely the one that... Um, no, I agree. The, I the, agree. The, the one that's behind the... Or the one that's connected to Fish. But I think he has a very good idea in his head that, that that's the connection, essentially. Uh, and once he makes that leap and goes, OK, I'm going to check this out. I've got um, I've got her scarf here. There's a lilac smell off that. I know that that's the perfume or the scent from Fish Mooney. So... Um, so I think that's his connection. So we see that play out in the screen. He's done his own little investigation, but he's kind of told us in the past that this is something that he does well. Yeah, and then he returns to Liza's apartment whilst Liza is there, and this leads to, again, I love these one-to-ones that um, Robin Lord Taylor does as Oswald Cobblepot, whether it's with his um, with his mum, Gertrude's, Gapplebutt, um, <laughs> or whether it's with Fish Mooney. I love these um, one-on-one scenes that he has, and again here with, with Liza. It is creepy, it is menacing, it is most definitely threatening, and it is most definitely intriguing to the plot with Falcone, as this clip shows. Your secret is safe with me. I won't tell because you are going to keep working for fish and you are not going to tell anyone or you'll die. (laughs) I mean, to me, this is really interesting. Uh, Just this idea that Falcone probably does not know any of this. Yeah. This is where we start to see Oswald keeping and internalizing his power position between Moroni and Falcone and to himself, presumably for the destruction of both these crime families, I think. And for undermining um, Fish Mooney as well. Exactly. And it's really good, really good scene. He's really consolidating his power over the last, last number of episodes. Again, I think back to the first episode, the pilot episode, when we discussed Oswald essentially again, thinking that he could take over Fish's family and looking for the people for the for Butch and for the other team to follow his lead, essentially. At this stage, he's created his own crime family. He's gotten um, Moroni's followers to follow him directly. He's now gotten Fish's weapon against Falcone to follow him directly. He's got a good little family being built up on his own. Um, it's quite, a, quite an interesting idea. Yeah, but on to the investigation then. Um, what were your thoughts about this? Here we see a um, a bomber essentially broken out of Blackgate Penitentiary. Um, the bomber's name is Ian Hargrove. Mm. And, and that, um, jumped, that jumped out and I've searched everywhere on the internet. There's no such thing as Ian, Ian Hargrove in the DC Universe as such. Um, no, but it really, his... it really seemed to stand out when they said the name. So when you see that in the show, I always look it up. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, in terms of the name, maybe not, but maybe his mode of operation that he's 
he's a bomber. Mm -hmm. um, whether he could be uh, another person from the DC universe, I think one is more probable. Mm. It's not necessarily the case that it is, but it certainly fits nicely with, um, I think, Ian Hargrove's story. But one is is the pyrotechnic genius Firefly. Mm. But I don't really get that sense from what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, that he is Firefly. And then the other one is um, someone called the Destroyer, who blows up buildings in Gotham, but blows them up to remove these criminals and so on. And I think that fits nicely with Hargrove's story because mm. he is the... And it's said that he's, he, he was put into Blackgate Penitentiary because he was blowing up munition dumps, crime family um, buildings and so on, yeah. all involved in that criminal underworld network that is Gotham. That's what he was targeting. And when he killed accidentally in this um, campaign to janitors, he actually hands himself in. Yeah. And even with his brother, who is brought in for questioning by Harvey and Jim, you get very much a sympathetic aspect to his motives as to why he did this and ultimately ended up at Blackgate. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, sort of rings more true with what the destroyer did it that was his aim was to try and stop the crime within gotham by mm -hmm. targeting and blowing up those buildings to bring it back to that pre-thomas martha wayne murder um state yeah and yeah. again another vigilante absolutely yeah that, that that's definitely what stood out to me is another another person trying to take down um elements of gotham to return us to what they loved about gotham in the past um I like it. I like I like the idea. I love the fact we've been introduced properly to Blackgate Penitentiary. Yeah. I love that through line there. Essentially, that um, that he's being taken out of the prison because there's no facilities to handle the mentally ill. I love Jim Gordon and the mayor, uh, Mayor Aubrey. Yeah, again, really the good. interaction between those. Jim essentially blames the mayor for this whole crime that's happened. Blames the mayor for the for the bombing purely because he's been putting people into Blackgate Penitentiary with no facilities. And because of this discussion that they have, we get the creation of or the opening of Arkham Asylum uh, very quickly on from uh, from when they uh, decided that it would reopen uh, about four weeks, I think, episodes later. Essentially, we now have Arkham is open for business. 200 prisoners are being transferred into this uh, into this building. So yeah. love that through line. I think that's where this investigation of um, Ian Hargrove really works nicely with um, the serialized elements, because. A, it introduces Mer Aubrey in, and it's the first time since the events of Penguin's Umbrella that mm -hmm. we've seen him, and that kind of almost simmering um, dislike between Mer Aubrey and Jim Gordon is captured really well in that scene in Captain Essen's office, and I love that. And then the, the other element it brings in is the creation of Arkham. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, what you're saying is Jim Gordon, by pressuring the mayor, has also created... Arkham Asylum, yeah, um, true, true. which we see a whole bus load of people at the end. 
being shipped there. So there are a lot of people that were criminally insane that are now going to Arkham. Yep. There may be a few people that we recognise in there, potentially. Yeah, I was definitely uh, definitely pressing the pause button a couple of times to try and see, does that guy look a little bit like the Scarecrow because he's got his hair the way it is? Or does that guy look like another character? Or, yeah, the one that definitely stood out, though, was... The um, white. Right, yeah, right. The last person that we see getting off the bus is a bald-headed guy with a white beard, um, white little goatee, essentially, yeah. which just reminded me of Hugo Strange, who we know is going to appear in the show in the future. Um, I actually thought the camera focused in on him as well because originally it was on Hargrove and as he walks past it almost to me felt as though the camera focused in on him Mm. picked him out from the other inmates coming off the bus so at this moment in time I am convinced it's Hugo Strange (laughs) it could be just an extra and I love reading this stuff into it but uh, yeah it really looked like like Hugo Strange definitely But then the other element that Hargrove um, links to is Fish Mooney's continuing undermining of Falcone. Mm. And we find that the people who break him out of prison are Nikolai, the Russian gang member who was killed by uh, Penguin and Moroni's um, battle in Penguin's Umbrella. It's his gang that take him out in order then to steal from Falcone. Yeah, yeah, it's probably one of the most confusing parts of this episode for me. Um, I can understand the fish work with Nikolai. I can understand that she wants to undermine Falcone. But she specifically says that the reason they're doing this is to get back at Falcone for killing Nikolai. When... In the episode, as, as John says, in, uh, in Penguin's Umbrella, it's Oswald that kills Nikolai. It's Oswald that leads, leads the charge against them. He's working for Moroni at the time. It's quite specific that when they're on the docks in that episode, that Falcone is blaming Moroni for the death of his man, Nikolai. So, yeah, because there have been deaths on both sides. And the other one was um, Moroni's right-hand man, who was ultimately killed by Penguin. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think there's an element here where there's a plot issue, a slight plot issue, and it's within the dialogue. And I think, as you say, Fish says that it is for the death of Nikolai because of Falcone that she is getting them to um, attack Falcone in this way. And actually, as you've said, Nikolai was killed by Moroni. Mm -hmm. Even though, as an audience, we are... A, um, a party to the secret of um, Oswald with Falcone. That's between those two, and we have been let in as the audience on that. Yeah. Fish technically doesn't know anything about that, so this element of dialogue seems a bit strange. Yeah. The only possibility I can think of is, at the end of last episode, Liza delivered the the pieces of Falcone's ledger from his drawer uh, directly to Fish Mooney, the only thing I can think of is that there's something on that ledger that implicates Falcone in the death of Nikolai. Um, that's the only thing I can think of, but I don't know. I think that's a bit of a leap for the leap for the audience to try and keep that in their head while they're watching this episode, but um, that's yeah. the only thing I could think of that could be there. And another explanation could be if these gang members um, were a party to Fish and Nikolai's double cross of Falcone, but that's never mentioned. Mm. If that had been mentioned, I would have been slightly on board. It just seems slightly strange. And I think, again, it potentially um, harks to an off-screen uh, reveal that we're unaware of with regards to that ledger. And that mm-hmm. might be why they are targeting the money. I mean, she says to um, 
Butch at the towards the end of the episode, it wasn't about the money. It was about weakening and undermining Falcone. Mm-hmm. So maybe the ledger gave her um, the amounts that he holds in cash and real estate, in purchases and so on, that she can now target to gradually... She's mentioned about sapping the life out of him so that when it comes to the crunch, she can just simply walk on in and take over with almost like no fuss. And maybe this is the start of that. But there was an element of dialogue there, and I completely agree, that just didn't seem to fit. It seemed to undermine our knowledge as an audience with that secret between Falcone and Cobblepot. I think the only other kind of clunky element um, from this episode, which I don't really want to hark on too much about, but is where Jim Gordon and Harvey Bullock sort of make that leap between the difference between steel and iron based on Edward Nigma's um, forensic testing, yeah. um, where all of a sudden they know that it's at the Gotham Armory, the sort of the old Gotham Armory, because that's the only place with steel doors. I don't know how you would know that. Iron doors, yeah. Yeah, like... iron doors. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, is kind of a bit of, you know, that speedy move from not knowing what the, the main bit of evidence and linchpin of cracking the case is to suddenly knowing it very quickly by, oh, that's such and such a thing at such and such a place. Let's yeah. go there at the right time to stop. A bit convenient. Just a bit. I do, um, I do like the scene with Ed when he's when he's figuring out the um, when he figures out what the explosion is specific is when he's figuring out what the explosion is specifically for. It's for destroying iron, as you say though. When when they when he tells the two cops that it's uh, that it can only be used in iron. Nobody's used iron for a hundred years, and instantly they go, "Oh well, that's the armory," and that is a bit of a leap. But there is a great moment with with Ed where he finally gets some approval. It's from an abandoned metal factory here in Gotham. It's really good work, Ed. Thanks. Thank you, Detective. Let's go check this out. Yeah, I thought that was, for the first time, Harvey Bullock is appreciative of <laughs> Ed Nigma, And I loved um, I loved that. And you just see on Corey Michael Smith's um, face as he portrays this kind of surprise and astonishment. Yeah. That, oh, I haven't been told to shut up. Um, I haven't been kind of sort of barged out the way and walked past and no one's listened to me. Yeah. He's just said, thanks for that. That's really good work. Yeah. Brilliant. And then, Loved he, it. and then he looks straight at Jim Gordon looking for more approval, of course. Who actually then walks past <laughs> us. Uh, I mean, one other thing as well about this whole bomber. I loved the picnic bomb. I know it's a bit... Um, <laughs> I think uh, we've been playing a lot of Lego Batman uh, recently, and I think this is a, this is probably something that, that feels straight out of Batman 66. Um, but yeah, it's a fun little... Yeah, I loved the picnic bomb. Um, yeah, I just... That was straight out of Batman 66 for me. You know, all the, um, all the security guards at the munitions and armory... So going, oh, who sent this? Eating away, and then just tick, 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 and then boom. boom. <laughs> oh, is that a Will Smith song? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> he loved that and loved the recognition of Ed Nigma um, as well. Absolutely. Final point for me. We have, after three episodes of absence, we have a uh, bit of Joker watch for this week. We um, do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
So in th this is the scene essentially where uh, where Ian Hargrove blows the doors off uh, off the entrance to um, the safe the... where the money is being held. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the background, listen to it. It's an audio one, so it's perfect for our for our joke watch. It didn't work. So is that a joke or laugh at the end of the explosion? Or is it a monkey? Because I went, kind of thought it was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I thought it was a monkey. Um, but one <laughs> maybe, of the maybe. one of the other Russian uh, mafia there turns mm -hmm. on that. He looks across and over at something. Maybe that's just coincidence. But I thought that was an interesting little touch. If you sort of just go through that scene and um, frame by frame, which you can't do on an audio podcast, unfortunately, but. But there is a reaction to that noise on screen. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. It's not us just simply hearing things. So nice to have a Joker watch again this week. It's been it's been quite a while for us. I wonder if we've missed any from the couple well, of episodes. Well, that's it. I was beginning to miss um, it. And it's not really Joker watch. It's actually Joker listen <laughs> that's in true. this sense. That is true. Um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully we haven't missed any. If we have, obviously send us in uh, send us in your feedback if there's anything that we've missed so far. Um, anything else about the episode, John? The only other thing that I kind of um, thought about was, again, talking earlier about how Alfred and Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, and that was great um, scenes between the three. And you see this, you know, playful Alfred and Bruce Wayne whilst they're boxing where they kind of, you know, Bruce gets a cheeky punch in and then Alfred gets a cheeky punch in as well on, on Bruce Wayne and so on. And every so often, though, comes that moment where Bruce Wayne makes it abundantly clear that he is the boss. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Alfred didn't want Selina to come in. He was kind of against the idea of her coming in and staying at Wayne Manor for protection, for her protection. And obviously he warms to her, but Bruce is, she must do. It's the only way we can end make sure that she is safe and she's the only one that saw the whole thing and um, play out and he turns around to alfred after alfred said no mm -hmm. she is not and he bruce wayne says yes she is and she can stay here as long as she likes and he turns he actually purposefully gets up off um the sofa walks to Alfred and looks at him and says, I've made my decision straight to him. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that, to me, is a really interesting part of their dynamic as Absolutely. well. Is that every so often, there is quite, um, it almost seems quite cold, um, sort of reaffirmation re of the fact that Bruce is the billionaire here and um, Alfred is employed by the family is a state, essentially. Absolutely. Um, and that's kind of interesting. I am the master. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's definitely. an interesting dynamic because it, it it's counter to sort of the other aspects of that. And, and I found that interesting to see again. And we've seen it before as well, um, where Bruce Wayne has said, that's an order to yeah. Alfred. Yeah. So it's just another aspect of their dynamic which i think is interesting to to keep note of yeah yeah absolutely 
Um, so that finishes off episode nine. Uh, yeah. Harvey Dent. Good, nice introduction to Harvey Dent, um, as opposed to the previous episodes that were called after characters like Selena Kyle, where she didn't appear in the entire episode for the for the majority of it. Anyway, um, nice to have an episode that did actually focus on Harvey Dent. Next week's episode, episode ten, is Lovecraft. So we presume this is about Dick Lovecraft, uh, who was introduced in this episode. So I wonder will he play quite a big part in next. It'll week's be interesting episode. to see now, um, yeah. and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. What did you think of this episode, though, overall? Overall, it, it had a, a ton of stuff in it. As, as we mentioned at the beginning, there was a lot of um, a lot of connections to previous episodes. And again, a lot of good setup for, for the next couple episodes. So I think, you know, we've talked about bridging episodes in the past. We've talked about episodes that are self-contained almost. Um, this seemed to be much more along what I want from the show, which is uh, has a lot of information that, that feeds to previous and future episodes. And I liked I liked this a lot better than some of those episodes I had in the past, apart from the little qualms we had about about some of those connections. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm happy enough. How yeah, you me, me too. I loved these aspects that um, are being brought through from the other episodes. Again, we've said it and made that point. We'd love to see someone who's introduced in one episode um, in terms of an investigation move into another episode and we're seeing that now with dick lovecraft hopefully yeah. hopefully yeah. it'd be strange to call the the next episode lovecraft and not to have anything to do with him hopefully they develop um dick lovecraft's mm-hmm. tale and his association and um, potentially with arkham and the the wayne enterprises and his obviously um battle with the assistant district attorney harvey dent i'm really interested to see if that plays out in the next episode episode 10 then i thought the investigation again it fed into the story and i like that when the investigation does that i really like it Mm -hmm. um there were as you say some elements maybe that were done off screen or the leap of faith was done off screen which would have been nice to have seen but otherwise i think a really another good episode building to the mid-season finale episode 10 lovecraft so i can't wait to see what happens and how some of these elements play out absolutely so we got some feedback this week so i think it's uh, time to move on to our feedback section fascinating fascinating points well made i think and we got some feedback from Agent Daniel from Welcome to Level 7. Detective Daniel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Agent Smacks of FBI. I know, or S.H.I.E.L.D. Or S.H.I.E.L.D., exactly. I know. <laughs> um, and Daniel was contacting us about the Black Mask, uh, or the Mask episode of Gotham, which was on uh, last week, and we had our, our podcast about it. Um, Daniel says, hello, detectives. I'm sad to say I found this case a little dull. Sure, I enjoyed Bruce getting first blood with Tommy Elliott. Uh, but it took 46 minutes for it to get interesting for me. Seriously, that entire office is nothing but accomplices. I do enjoy watching Harvey try to navigate homicide to help Jim and his standing, but those things I enjoyed seemed less than 10 minutes of the episode. Oh, bad. Bad episode for Daniel, really. Yeah. I mean, I can understand definitely the whole office filled with beaten up and bruised uh, employees and staff members. Uh, That, to me, was just a bit too on the nose and i think we mentioned that last week yeah again i think we enjoyed the whole tommy elliott and alfred and bruce and that brutal knockdown of tommy elliott was really really good um and something we didn't necessarily pick out a great deal but certainly seeing harvey um stand up for for jim 
Mm-hmm. I think we briefly mentioned it, seeing him stand up for Jim uh, and really sort of challenge the members of the GCPD and the homicide unit was really, really good to, to, to see as well. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a little dull, but I did think that the investigation was handled poorly. And I think we kind of said we weren't entirely pleased with with the how the mask was introduced. Yeah, I'll definitely say when we were writing up our notes for the episode and, and you know putting the structure together for the episode, one of the things that I found most difficult to write about was the case of the mask for Richard Sionis. Character I kind of like, you know, it's a character I'm interested in and something that had been built up for weeks with the images of him wearing a mask. And yeah, when I, once it got to the episode, it was the, probably the piece that I was least interested in watching because um, it was so simply tied up. It was... Uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but I do think that the whole scenes with Bruce and with Alfred were definitely standout, and once again this week they've been standout, so, um, so there were some good things in the episode, I don't know whether it was just 10 minutes, but I felt like it was a bit more um, of the episode. I think one other thing for me to, to add was I wish that Richard Sionis had been linked to the Russian Mafia, I mean, Roman uh, Sionis, the Black Mask um, unless they're the same people, you know, has links to this criminal underworld. And mm. to see him in an above-board financial institution, whilst we all may think they're criminals at, at some <laughs> point over the last five years, um, is something different. But it would have been nice to, to have seen some kind of connection with Nikolai and maybe Falcone's um, criminal gang. Um, but the one part of it that maybe I did like was... Jim Gordon and this idea of he doesn't have a mask um, Richard Sionis did have a mask, that whole the warrior element where it kind of connected in with Jim's military past and you saw a really good fight where he essentially knocked seven hells of something or other out. Seven shades of hell is it? Yeah he knocked, yeah. Well, he knocked seven shades of hell out of Richard Sionis, I mean you can see who the true warrior was in that. And I thought that was good. But otherwise, yeah, the investigation was a bit um, peripheral for yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, as always, for your feedback, Daniel. Um, please keep in contact with us and please uh, keep letting us know how you're, how you're getting on with the season. And uh, we got one more episode left of the season, obviously. Uh, and we'd love to hear your feedback every week. Thank yeah. you. But as we mentioned before, if you want to join us on Thursday night this week uh, to, for our interview with Renee Montoya and Chris Allen, played by Victoria Cartagena and uh, Andrew Stewart-Jones, uh, please come to uh, to Google+. Plus. You can uh, follow the video on there live at 1 a.m. our time. Um, you can send your feedback into us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com or, again, contact us directly at Derek at gothamtvpodcast.com or John at gothamtvpodcast.com. Also, um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can uh, like us on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Google+, on Tumblr. Or again, go to GothamTVPodcast.com for some of our reviews of Constantine, the other TV show that we're, that we're covering in written form. Um, yeah, uh, tons tons to do. Follow us on, on Twitter. That We've had some great fun for the last couple of weeks on, uh, on the live tweeting. So the, the last episode will be on next week. So we're hoping to do a bit of live tweeting and get some of the cast involved in, that, uh, in those discussions on, on Twitter as well. So. Yeah, so thanks very much for your for your feedback and thanks very much for listening. Yeah, no, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Gotham TV Podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya. Bye.